0: Our tank is filled with air, the lid is on. Uh, I, I, I pray that across the state there are many uh, Baptist churches that are baptizing new believers and bringing them into the kingdom of God through their faith in Jesus Christ. I, I, I personally pray that that Sunday will not be far for us. I want to encourage you, and as I encourage myself, as I urge myself, let's be who God has called us to be great commission Christians. We have a commission, we have one mission, and that is to make disciples of all the nations. And that depends upon me being faithful to that, looking for opportunities to share the gospel with neighbors, co workers, or friends, family. Whomever God may lead in our path to be able to talk to them about Jesus Christ. Greatest gift we could ever give anybody is the gift of Jesus. So join me in praying. God will move us as a congregation to to be out there doing the thing that God has called us to do, wherever, however he leads us to do it. That one Sunday soon, we'll be popping the top off of our baptistry, filling it. And watching God do miraculous things in the lives of those who are coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and so this morning as we continue on in our sermon series in the gospel of Luke in chapter 11 we'll be focusing on verses 29 through 36 and uh, before I get to that just to kind of set the stage if you will I remember you know growing up on the farm and being of course close to God's creation in that environment uh, I enjoyed it I look back with great fondness on my experiences on the farm but I was always intrigued with, well with a lot of things that I would see about me and God's creative handiwork around me. but you know, one of the things that always fascinated me was the wonder of life new life you know whether that be in the springtime and God's Season of spring would bring life back to the vegetation and plants and everything are coming alive. But particularly in the animal world, as I would see these new little creatures being born. And I was always especially fascinated how some of these little puppies and kittens and mice and birds and oh you just go on. But, but so many of them were born with their eyes closed. and and so you know part of the expression they were they were blind as bats but you know they're kind of feeling around to find mama so that they can get fresh milk and all of that or open the mouth so that a nice fresh juicy night crawler could be dropped down their throat that that would be birds by the way at least you know I, I really was fascinated by that and I discovered that you know that most of these little creatures their eyes were closed for several days for instance Puppies, their eyes would be closed from anywhere from 10 to 14 days before they'd actually open their eyes. And kittens, very similar to that. But, you know, it's always amazed me that when human babies are born, I don't suppose chickens' eyes are born open when they're born, are they? Hats. Check it out next time in the nursery, okay? But anyway, Amy is our chicken expert, by the way. But but when babies, human babies are born, their eyes are, you know, not long, their eyes are open. But the interesting thing is, even though, you know, they, their eyes are open, they're very sensitive to bright light. How many of y'all remember when you were born? <laughs> I'm not the only one with a bad memory. Okay. but <laughs> But the fact is, even though that baby, when he's born or she's born, their eyes are usually squinted and closed because of the bright light. Think about it. They've been surrounded with darkness for nine months and then suddenly thrust into a you know, delivery room where there's strobe lights hitting you. So little wonder that they're squinting and, and because of the bright lights. The vision of a baby, I discovered this. I didn't come up this long. But the vision of a brand new baby is 2,200 to 2,400. So, you know, they they can see, but not good, okay? So, but, you know, sadly, there are children that are born. In some cases, they're born blind. You know, in the Bible, in John chapter 9, verse 1, we saw where the Lord Jesus encountered a man. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And, you know, praise the Lord. We know how that story came out. Jesus gave him a sight. But you know, more importantly, our Lord is not just able to give people back their physical sight if they were born blind, in the case of that man. But infinitely more important, God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is able to give spiritual sight to those who are spiritually blind. Just think about it. Every one of us who are born-again believers followers of Jesus Christ before coming to Christ we were spiritually blind and only through Christ were we able to receive sight through our faith in Jesus Christ you know given sight was a part of the of the ministry of Jesus from the get-go he was quoted out of Isaiah, as he looked at his own ministry, you may recall when Jesus was in Nazareth at the synagogue and, and quoting from that, you know, Jesus says, I've come to preach deliverance to the captives, those who were captive to sin and recovery of sight to the blind. So when you think about the Lord Jesus, he yes, he has a supernatural divine ability to give physical sight, but he also has the glorious, wonderful ability to give spiritual sight to those of us who were walking in spiritual blindness and, uh, and darkness. And that is something I, I never get over. You know, as we look at the story that unfolds here in chapter 11, we see Jesus still encountering people who are spiritually blind. And I like how the worship God Tim, highlighted in, second Corinthians in our responsive reading it says just just quoting out of that but their minds were hardened talking about the Israelites for to this day when they read the Old Covenant that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom you see Paul is is reminding his readers that the children of Israel, though they had access to the law, they could not see the Lord because of their spiritual blindness. The veil was over their the veil of sinfulness was over their spiritual eyes. But Paul goes on in that responsive reading that you and I have read and says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. There are people that you know that you encounter just as Jesus was encountering. Who can hear the same words read out of the scriptures John 3 16 and other wonderful passages about salvation they can hear those words they can read those words but the veil of sin is over their eyes and, and they are blinded as Paul said in 2nd Corinthians 4 4 by the God little G of this age who has blinded their minds so therein lies the problem that our Lord Himself is combated in this in this episode that we're going to look at here today and The problem is he's dealing with people who are spiritually blind And so in this text we see the antagonism and the accusations and the attacks of the Lord's Adversaries coming to a like a feverish pitch as Jesus continually has been hounded by the Jewish religious leaders And I'll tell you something when you choose to be faithful to the truth of the word the Word of God and to be a witness in this world you will find that there are those who are in strong opposition they will resist the truth they won't have an open heart but folks we still have to be a witness we don't open the hearts we don't open the eyes of people God does that we simply are the witness and so as we look at verse 29 Jesus denies the demands, the evil demands of this crowd, the the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the people and the multitudes that are being egged on by them. They're making these these ungodly demands that are sinful at at, at the heart of them. And Jesus denies their demands and pronounces the verdict, a very serious verdict upon them. As you look there with me in chapter 11 of Luke's Gospel, verse 29, and while the crowds were thickly gathered together, in Matthew's version he talks about the great multitudes of people that were surrounding the Lord. He began to say, this is an evil generation. That's quite an indictment on a whole generation of Jewish people, but Jesus is, is telling it like it is. What makes them so evil by this generation? He goes on to say it seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now back in chapter 11 in verses 15 and 16 you know Jesus was being accused by the Jewish leaders of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. They were as much as saying this man Is an agent for the devil. The only way that he can cast out demons is because he's working for Beelzebub which was a slang reference to Satan and then some at the same time others in verse 16 were testing him. If the other wasn't bad enough they were testing him and they sought for a sign from heaven. Show us Jesus, show us a spectacular sign that will convince us that you are indeed who you say you are. You say you're the son of God. You say you're the Messiah. You are the promised one. Show us, give us some mighty sign like blacking out the sun or causing stars to fall from the sky or or something that would be believable and we would be ready to believe in you. Well, the Lord saw right through that. He knew that was just their sordid way of trying to tempt him to do that, which was not even in the plan And besides how ridiculous they were like their ancestors just like we read about second Corinthians Paul was talking about the Israelites who had access to 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 the law of Moses and had access to Moses and and had seen God do things like part in the Red Sea and provide manna and 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 protected them through the wilderness and yet on and on and on they had this veil of unbelief over their eyes that they could not see God it was a lack of faith So you see, this generation that Jesus is is pretty much indicting at this point, they're following in the the path of their their ancestors. Like their ancestors, they were spiritually blind and inherently evil. You see, the Jewish leaders were trusting in their legalistic faith. They were trusting in their man-made religion all the time. You, listen, the, the ironic thing about this is when Jesus calls them an evil generation, folks, you probably could not find a more devout and religious and, and outwardly moral people than the Jews. And yet Jesus saw all the way through that facade there. He remembered the words of the prophet Isaiah as God was confronting the, the Israelites. Back in the day of Isaiah, listen, God says through Isaiah, pause and wonder. Blind yourselves and be blind. They are drunk, but not with wine. He's talking about God's people. He's talking about the Jewish religious leaders. They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets. The prophets. False prophets, of course, but even they were spiritually blind. How many times did the Lord accuse the Pharisees, the scribes, Sadducees of being blind guides? Here they are, supposedly the leaders leading the people in the way of the Lord, and they're blind spiritually. They've never known God, and that's who they are. And he goes on to say, and he has covered your heads, namely. The seers, they are spiritually blind. And Isaiah, on behalf of God, is accusing the ancestors of this very generation. So these, this generation of Jews, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people who followed them, were following suit with what the Jews had done all the way down through the ages. Jesus rebuffs their ridiculous request for another sign. Can you imagine how frustrating that must have been for, for Jesus? Here they are. They followed him. Jesus' ministry has not been a secret secret ministry. He's not been behind closed dark curtains or in a cave. He's been right out there in the wide open in the public and multitudes have, have watched and seen. They've seen signs. They knew from firsthand observance, they've seen Jesus heal the blind, physically blind. He's seen, they've seen Jesus heal the lame. They've seen Jesus cleanse people of that terminal, incurable disease called leprosy. They've, they've seen Jesus do that. They watched by the thousands as Jesus took the little boys' lunch, just a few fish and a few loaves of bread, and kept multiplying it, and kept multiplying it, and kept multiplying it until 5,000 men factoring the children and the women, and you're looking at a crowd, at least 15,000 ate all they wanted. See, that's the kind of miracle that Baptists would be intrigued by. Yeah. Can you imagine having a covered dish meal that just kept multiplying and multiplying? More fried chicken. Oops, I'm sorry. But anyway, or beef that you could... All that food just multiplied, hallelujah, particularly the dessert table. And they saw that, they saw it. They even stood by and watched Jesus raise the dead. (laughs) And they had the audacity to say, just give us a sign. It's It's the only thing standing between us believing in you. And Jesus saw right through that sinister request. And he went on to say that the only sign that would be given, not at their request, but at the volition of God Himself. Jesus is saying to this evil, wicked generation that is seeking a sign, He says, "You're an evil generation; it seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it, except, except the sign of Jonah the prophet." We remember the story. Of that unusual prophet that God had called to go to Nineveh to to preach the the uh, message of judgment so that they would repent of their sins turn to Jehovah God. This is a, you know and and we know Jonah didn't say all right Lord first express boat I can get to Nineveh I'm there. Oh no 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 Jonah got to thinking you know, God said go Jonah said no. God said, oh, that's what great glory." <laughs> I picked that up from him. God said, let, let Jonah go. Jonah ran in the opposite direction. He headed to Tarsus, going south when he should have been going north. Should have been going to Nineveh. God inter- uh, intercepted him, didn't he? Generated a big storm. You know the story. It all happened. I mean, it resulted in Jonah getting thrown overboard in the midst of the storm by the sailors at his request. He knew God was angry with him. He thought that may, maybe that would take care of the deal. Just as Jonah was sinking down into the seaweed, giving up his last breath, scoop, here comes a fish that I've always tried to catch and never have. But anyway, it's a monster fish that God has created. It swallows Jonah whole. He lives inside of that big fish for three days. You know, not the best living environment I can imagine, but, but you know, he kept them alive. And then finally, at the designated point, there in Nineveh, here comes this big fish. Probably a few Ninevites standing there, you know, surf fishing or maybe crabbing or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe just walking on the beach. Up comes this big fish, you know, kind of swims on up to the cliff, right up to the beach. You know, this is good crazy. I've never seen a fish like that. And all of a sudden, bleh, sorry, I know you got lunch. But the fish pukes a prophet. Well, that'll write. But anyway. Can you imagine what Jonah looked like? There he is, and vomited by a fish. He's up on the shore, and these people are standing there watching. They, they don't see a man get puked out of a fish every day. And that's Jonah's close to probably you know acid eating. His hair's bleached. <laughs> His skin is you know pale. And he's standing there. He's wide eyed. you know spitting fish juice. <laughs> and he says, "I'm a prophet of God." Yeah, right. But anyway, they that, that that was a sign to the people of Nineveh. If a, if a, if an evangelist gets puked up on the shore of North Carolina and, and, and gets cleaned up and starts preaching, I guarantee you he'll pack Colosseums, he'll pack churches. That's a sign and I I guarantee you the fact that he came the way he came will get the attention of the people. And you know, that's how it went. But Jonah was a sign of judgment. Jonah wasn't a sign of social reform. He didn't show up on the scene and say, I'm here to make life all better. All your dreams come true. I want to introduce you to the Jehovah of the Jews and they're going to have a good old time. We're going to build a tabernacle." No, 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 no. Jonah was a sign of judgment to the Jews. Now, hold your place there. In Luke 11. And let me just walk you back to parallel version of just what what Jesus was saying. But this is from Matthew's perspective in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Okay? Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he goes on, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Speaking of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, Jesus says, I'm not working any sign for you, but you will see a sign, and the only sign that you will see. Like Jonah, it will be a sign of judgment, not for you and me, because the resurrection is life. The resurrection is hope. But for those who rejected Jesus Christ, who are walking in spiritual darkness, He's talking to people who will one day witness him hanging on the cross. He's talking to evil and adulterous generation that have that will reject him and they will see his body buried. He's talking to folks who will one day hear the incredible report by the followers of Christ that said he's alive. He's alive. He was in the grave three days. And I tell you, he's alive. We have seen him. We have touched him. We have eaten with him. We have walked with him. He is alive. Now, you know, and I know that the Jewish leaders, upon hearing of that sign, didn't rush to see if they could find Jesus to worship him. Oh, no. When they heard the report that the grave was empty, do you remember? They hired some folks to go around, they paid them. To lie and to say that his disciples robbed his body—they missed, you see. But deep down in their hearts, I have to believe, haunting them in the recesses of their darkened, sin-darkened, rebellious souls, was those words that Jesus said, "I'll show you a sign. You're going to see a sign." And like Jonah showing up on the on the shores was a sign of judgment. To a hard-hearted and unrepentant generation when the sign of the resurrection occurs whether you believe in it or not you are judged you are a judged generation that's the only sign that you will see jesus goes on as as we read there in verse 31 jesus pronounces their certain judgment and it's so interesting that jesus uses gentile figures to factor out the judgment coming upon these people you know i i don't know what it will be like uh, for those who have rejected christ On that day of judgment the day the general judgment when all souls are raised up that have rejected Christ and they will be judged but who's on the throne judging Christ he says the father has given to me the authority to judge in the final judgment it's Christ now imagine these same hard-hearted, hard-headed, stiff-necked, evil-minded Jewish leaders, one by one, they're going to stand up before the very one that condemned and orchestrated his crucifixion. And he won't be that simple, mild-mannered, easy-going rabbi-looking prophet that accustomed to and abused oh no oh no you you read some of the descriptions of the glorified christ i mean his feet are like brass, and, and 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 his eyes are like fire and then you know his hair is white to signify purity and oh and, and there's just power and and and, and, and majesty and glory I eminent mean, he's sitting on that throne and every. will be face to face and we'll have to answer for him, answer to him. But in in addition to that, if that weren't bad enough, they're on trial. It's a short trial because the the verdict has already been given and now the sentence. But I want you to see what Jesus says going back to Luke chapter 11 in verse 31. Because the testimony of faithful Gentiles will condemn them Gentiles are going to have a, a, a place in the judgment of the very ones who condemned Christ are going to give testimony in their hearings who, which Gentiles was this look in verse 31 he said the Queen of the South and this is taking us back to the book of first Kings in chapter 10. I'm not gonna read it but but you remember when Solomon was on the throne. Solomon was uh, he was the richest leader in the world at that time. He was the most powerful leader in the world at that time. He was the most productive leader in the world at that time. He had more wives and concubines probably than anybody had at that time but that wasn't the thing that was so notable about Solomon. You remember solomon was the wisest man on the face of the earth no one possessed wisdom close to the wisdom that god divinely gave to solomon the talk went all throughout israel what a wise king we have of course he ended up squandering that wisdom we won't get to that but, but the fact is the talk went out and the, and, the, and the empire of, of of israel because of david's conquest was expansive so, therefore, the, the knowledge of the wisdom of Solomon was going beyond the borders of Israel all the way down to southwestern Arabia, bordering Africa. And there, the queen of the south, some say the queen of Sheba, she heard about this, this Jewish king who possessed such wisdom. And she took it upon herself. To traverse some one thousand, about a thousand miles. Now, this is before the day of you know Uber and, and taxis and planes, and you know you ride camels or donkeys, or you know, so you're talking about multiple weeks to make a journey like this. and she's a queen. And she traversed that 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 grueling journey from Southwest Arabia all the way up to Jerusalem where she encountered Solomon and witnessed wisdom like she had never seen. Of course, if we go back and read in 1 Kings, there was a, a lavish ex- exchange of gifts. She brought gold, more gold than you and I could think of, and jewels and all that, and, you know, and, and, and gave it to the king. Solomon, he took out of this piggy bank probably more gold, silver, lavished her with all kinds of beautiful things. But, but it wasn't the treasure, the physical treasure that she left with that day. It was the, it was the spiritual treasure. Because as she interacted with Solomon, asking him all kinds of questions, she probably was pretty educated herself. She was absolutely amazed that his God could give, her, give him such wisdom that the implication in the scriptures is that she went away with faith. In Solomon's God, Jehovah, may have been a witness in that part of the world as a result of that. So when these Jewish leaders who have virtually hounded Christ and abused him and, and, and made these ridiculous demands, Jesus basically says, You're in your judgment, the Queen of, of the South will rise up in the judgment of with the men of this generation he's narrowed it down to you this generation and condemned them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of solomon indeed a greater than solomon is here she made that journey all the way she went to great lengths to come to experience the wisdom of solomon and believe in his god and here you are, the Son of God, the very promised Messiah. He's you have had access to him for these three years. You've, you've had the, the privilege to not only engage and talk with the Son of God, to, to witness his miracles, but and, and yet this you don't have the faith that she exhibited she believed in in solomon and he says one greater than solomon the one by the way that gave solomon the wisdom he's right here in front of you he says on the and and i just imagine this on the day of judgment when those jewish leaders are brought up one by one before christ guess who's standing in the witness stand there'll be two one of them will be the queen of the south I can imagine Christ turning as he is read off their verdict, guilty of rejecting the Son of God. One witness or two witnesses, queen of the South, testify and she'll tell the story. Oh, yes, I made a long journey. Oh, yes, it was incredible. But I, I saw I saw how you had given wisdom to King Solomon. And I knew that you had to be the true living God. And so, you know, and then the judge turns back. To pronounce a sentence well queen of the south was isn't the only witness that christ said would stand to give testimony to support the case that christ had against these these spiritually blind leaders look at verse 32 the men of nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of jonah and indeed are greater than jonah is here Judge says, next witness, you can imagine these people sweating BBs. <laughs> they, they, they just had testimony from the Queen of the South that's already, you know, substantiated the, the, the verdict that Christ is, is pronouncing upon these, these unbelieving Jewish leaders. But but then they bring they bring up these men from Nineveh who give testimony. To, yes, we, we we saw this this whitewashed, fish-beard man, man, prophet. He came and he preached judgment like we never had heard. We didn't even know about their God. But when he taught us and preached to us the judgment that God was about to bring upon us, listen, as evil and as barbaric and wicked as we were as men of Nineveh, we began to repent Beginning with the king, we put on sackcloth. We put ashes up in our head. We went around fasting. Oh, listen, we knew that this God was true. And we repented. Jesus turns and looks at the Sadducee or the Pharisee or the scribe. High priest standing in his, before the judge. And he said did you hear that wicked vile barbarians could turn their hearts around and they saw and they believed the preaching of my prophet Jonah and 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 one greater than Jonah infinitely more greater than Jonah you had in your midst and you hounded him like a criminal and you coordinated his arrest and facilitated his death. What do you have to say for yourself? I can imagine they were stammering like porky to pig. Just as they maybe tried to utter some kind of an excuse, a rationalization, nah, they didn't get it out of their mouth. The son of God looks straight into their eyes, blazing eyes and say, depart from me. Depart from me. I never knew you. Guilty. 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 Eternally guilty. And instantaneously they're plunged into the eternal torment and unending merciless flames of hell forever and ever and ever in judgment. No excuse. I believe that those people today, this generation, citizens of this country and other Western nations, advanced countries in the 20th, 21st century have had unhindered access to the word of God no excuse we had a Gideon stand in a pulpit and tell us you can't go on a, a hotel hardly without having a Gideon Bible you can hardly go anywhere without seeing a copy of the Bible on your computer on your television you turn you flip you navigate And and you have innumerable opportunities to hear great biblical preachers, evangelists, teachers. The Word of God has saturated our society. And yet, you know as well as I do that the generation around us is becoming increasingly hardened in their hearts towards God. They are more prone to follow at the selfish, self centered humanistic philosophies and ways of life they are rejecting jesus christ left and right because they are spiritually blind what's the key on the day of judgment when your family members who are lost and your neighbors who are lost and your co-workers who are lost and your schoolmates who are lost And and make fun of you with your witness. And and they they scoff at the name of Jesus Christ. And the idea of the Bible being true. And they're suddenly found standing before the Son of God in judgment. What if the Lord raises up as witnesses against this generation. Who've had so many privileges on the Western Hemisphere especially. And in the witness box he places one after another persecuted Christians. When the Lord t- turns to them after he's said to the, the, the unrepentant sinner that's being judged. How many times did you have a chance to hear the gospel? Did you ever hear Billy Graham? Did you ever see a copy of the Bible? Did you ever have a friend or neighbor or family member to talk to you about Jesus and you just scoffed and pushed them off? I call as my first witness, Mr. Joseph, whatever, from some part of the Soviet Union, Czechoslovakia. Tell us how was your faith in me? And that dear brother says, I believe in I believed in you from the day that someone shared the gospel with me and how did it go i watched as my home was destroyed i witnessed my business take taken away from me i saw my children being sold into slavery my wife marketed for prostitution i was beaten numerous times Threatened that if I didn't recount my faith, they would kill me. I sat in a dingy, dark, damp, disgusting jail cell day after day, month after month. Because I would not turn my back on my Jesus, my Savior, you, Lord. Now, imagine that 20th, 21st century American unbeliever. He's hearing that testimony, and the eyes of the Lord are glued on him and saying, anything you need to say for yourself before he can speak a word? Depart from me. Guilty. I never knew you. And again, plunged into the unending fires of hell. Well, I need to go ahead and close because they were asking for a sign out of unbelief and stupidity. And Jesus said, there's not going to be a sign. The only sign you'll see, you'll regret it one day. And you will be condemned. In the final verses there that we look at in chapter 11. It, Luke takes kind of a, a twist, it, even though we're still talking about spiritual blindness, but it's, it's almost like he's moving in a different direction. But it connects, because the Lord teaches on the idea of, of light and darkness in the spiritual world. For instance, in verse 33 and 34, he says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place and under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eyes is good, your whole body is is full of light. And when your eyes is bad, your body is full of darkness. You see, Jesus's adversaries were ridiculously accusing him of withholding information. Like, show you haven't revealed everything. Come on, show us that big celestial sign that will convince us. Jesus said, in response, he's, he's basically saying, do you understand how ridiculous that sounds? He says, I, as he said in John 8:12, I am the light of the world. I came into the world to reveal the light of the revelation of the grace of God and the way of redemption. I am the light of the world. Why would you try to hide the light? Why would I be putting my light, my witness, in a basket or under a bed? Or you know, Why would I ever want to conceal the light of my witness? Now, he says, that's, that's not the issue. Verse 34 gets to the heart of the problem. Dr. John MacArthur, in his commentary, said the problem was not a lack of light, it was a lack of sight. The problem when you and I are sharing Christ with people that we love and we want so much to see come to Jesus Christ and have the assurance of eternal life and the hope of heaven and we talk to them and we talk to them and we reveal the scriptures and we answer the questions and yet they still Do not respond with faith. It's not that you haven't given the light. Listen, this is the light. It's not that you haven't revealed Christ. Did you see what he said in verse 34? The lamp of the body is the eye. If anybody knows anything about eyes, I feel like in the last two years I've learned more than I want to know about eyes. But hey, I'm grateful to have my eye. Thank you, Joella. Pass that along to Dr. Sanders. But my retina, you know, having torn twice, and you know, it was a miracle that I, I still have vision that through our eyes, illumination comes knowledge and, and, and information, but also when we have a bad spiritual eye, the light doesn't penetrate. He's talking about spiritual blindness. No matter how bright the light of Christ was shining and these Jewish leaders are right in the midst of the Son of God. He's teaching with authority about the kingdom of God. He's working miracles. He's casting out demons. He's demonstrating the, the divine presence of God like they've never seen before. The light was so bright and yet they're feeling around like they're in the dark. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. He warns he warns about the danger of spiritual dark light let me go on here it's interesting because in verse 35 and 36 he said therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness that seems like it'd be an oxymoron the light that is in you is darkness huh if then your whole body is full of light having no part of dark then the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light But he warns, don't take heed, just just be careful. Because oftentimes what you think is light, revelation is actually evil deception. There are people out there who are masqueraded as, as messengers of light, revelation. And that's how false religions get started. That's how cults get started. They claim to have had some light of revelation shine into their light marvelously so that, that this is the way we need to go departing from the truth of the word of God. And you have people who are spiritually blind, who are allowing what, what Jesus is saying there is, is darkness. It's it's diabolical. It's damning. So to be careful, be discerning about those who are promoting the light. Folks, there's only one source of true light, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is the word of God. Psalm 119, 105, 106. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Make sure that the light that you have committed to follow and to invest your life in is none other than Jesus Christ the Son of God. And if we have good spiritual eyes, not spiritually blind, then the light of Christ will penetrate and fill every part of us like a like a lantern when the the wick is lit and that fire begins to Filled up and you know it becomes brighter and brighter and brighter that's the Christian who is wide open and spiritually healthy and the light of Christ begins to fill them I like how Jesus puts it over in Matthew chapter 5 you know it almost by heart verse 14 he says you are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives a light to all who are in the house. You see, there, Jesus is talking about you and me. Back here, he's talking about himself as the light of the world. But when Christ comes to dwell within you and me, then suddenly the light of the Lord begins to shine forth through us and jesus says let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven what you need to entertain and ascertain today is this does the true light live in you is jesus christ abiding in you Or are you spiritually blind? And if you can answer yes to that, then the second question follows right on the heels. If the light of Christ lives in you, how much of his glorious divine light is shining through you and me? We sing that little hymn. Let others see Jesus in me. The Lord didn't design us to be spiritual safety boxes where his light is put in, sealed, closed, and nobody knows what's on the inside. Oh no, oh no. He designed us to be spiritual gas lanterns. And the spirit of God is the gas that fuels the fire of the light of the love and the mercy and the grace and the joy and the peace and all that represents Christ shines through us so that people can see. You don't have to, they don't have to ask you a thousand questions. They can see the light. Are you shining that light? Or is your life plagued by spiritual darkness? John Newton, Eighteenth century trade, slave trader, hauled African slaves back and forth across the Atlantic. A hideously evil man had a dramatic and a glorious encounter with the Lord in a horrible storm at sea, and Christ got a hold of his heart. And that once evil slave trader became a preacher of the word of God, gave his life to Jesus Christ, became a proponent against slavery, and spent the rest of his life promoting the truth of the gospel to those who, like himself, were in spiritual darkness. He wrote a beautiful song, his testimony, when he says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found was blind. But now I see that was Charlie Martin. That was you amazing grace that has brought the light of the love of God through Jesus Christ into our hearts. I encourage you make sure that your spiritual sight is good and then commit yourself to shine 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 for Jesus every day you don't know who's watching your life who may be attracted to you to find out how they might also have what you have let's pray father thank you for arranging for us to be here today. Thank you for these wonderful principles from your word that continually speak to our hearts. Lord, I know I speak for myself, but I have to believe I'm speaking for everybody else that knows you. Lord, we were those wretched sinners that you saved. We were those who were spiritually lost and wandering in a world that is hostile and evil and sin. Lord, I was blind as a bat to the things of God and headed for hell. But I praise your holy name. I give you glory today, Lord. That when I cried out to you, Lord, with a repentant and humble heart, you heard my humble prayer and you opened my blinded eyes. And now I see not only that, you are in me and your glorious divine light shines through me. Help me to burn brighter for you, Lord Jesus. I pray that for my brothers and sisters here today. What an awesome and loving God you are. Jesus, what a gracious and loving Savior you are. Holy Spirit, we praise you for your faithful, abiding presence in our hearts and lives. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.